about. We're going to sing verses 1 and 3, and then as a, as a fourth stanza, we'll sing these lyrics to the tune of Come Thou Found. <clears throat> Number 17, Come Thou Found. but it's based on the Word of God and it's telling us this is what God has said. And there is no stronger foundation to stand upon than what God has already said in His Word. So let's sing verses 1, 3, and 5 of 268. Let's stand together. 268 verses 1, 3, and 5.
127. 127. The Word of God speaks to us. God speaks to us through His Word. And now we speak to God. Be thou my vision. 100. 334. 334. How did I get 137? 
Well, that was a blessing. Amen. Now let me let me encourage you folks to encourage those who do something publicly by giving them a good amen every once in a while. That was a good song. They worked hard for that one, and uh, some of them are nervous, but they still worked hard. So you ought to give a good amen when they do something like that. And uh, you know, Joseph has really come along very well with his violin. Amen. I taught him everything that he knows. <laughs> That was sarcasm. Not true. Good to see Carmen's sister here with us today. Didn't recognize her because of her mask. But uh, glad to have you here. And then, of course, Mrs. Childress is here. And she's a grandma again. And that's a blessing. All right. Uh, let's take our Bibles and go to somewhere. I was thinking about that song that they just did. It was a real blessing. And the fact that Calvary makes a difference in our lives. And then I was thinking how some people believe that it has already been predestined for people to be saved or it has already been predestined for some to not be saved. And I'm thinking that song reminded me that the shed blood of Christ is provided for everybody, everyone. Potentially everyone can be saved. Potentially the whole world can be saved. Uh, isn't that true that the Bible said that God loved the whole world and he would like the whole world to be saved? Is it not true that God sends out missionaries and preachers and evangelists and soul winners around so that other people can be saved as well? Is it not true that God loves people, loves souls, and he wants them to be saved? That is true. It is also true that man is very sinful, very depraved. Now, I, it's not my intention today to go through the tulip of the Calvinist, the five points of Calvinism. It is just too tedious. It'll take 45 minutes for each letter, T-U-L-I-P. Uh, Mike has covered that very much uh, so before. And it does take time, and it's very wearisome when you think about it. Have you ever talked to a Calvinist, talked to someone who believes in the, the doctrines of grace, things like that? It's very tedious, it's very draining, it's very, it's like talking to a Jehovah's Witness. It's very tiring. It is not my intent to go point by point about Calvinism, but I want to say some things about that, what they call the doctrines of grace. I want to address the idea, the notion about free will. Now, I want you to remember this, that free will, everyone has one. You all have a will. Everyone has the ability to choose. Everyone has the ability to make decisions. Although, on the tulip side, they do believe that because man is totally depraved, T, totally depraved, man is incapable of making decisions on his own. Man is unable to come to Christ unless God first draws him and converts him. Then he can repent and believe. Which is kind of, it sounds like, yeah, maybe so, sounds a little right. And that's why I say when you, when you, read the books and read what they say, read the rebuttals of Calvinism. It is very wearisome. It is very, very wearisome. But it's got to be understood so that people don't get confused. My aim today is not to go through point by point, but just to point out the fact that God has allowed man to have the ability to choose. The ability to choose. The ability to decide for himself or for herself. Though man is sinful, we would agree with that. Man has fallen into sin, Genesis chapter 3. 
Man after him, after Adam, all are born in sin. Romans 5.12. Man's heart is wicked. That is a given. That is a fact. We agree with that. Jeremiah 17.9. No man is righteous. Romans 3.10. No man is righteous. Yet, God has allowed man to have a will to choose to make decisions. That is a fact. There, it, it cannot be either or. There is a balance to all of this. And it's kind of confusing when you think about certain verses, but the sovereignty of God, predestination, the foreknowledge of God, election, the free will of man, it's not either or. It is both. You see both things in the Bible. Someone has described this like a railroad track. It runs a certain direction, and you have this rail and this rail, and you have these things in between to keep it on track. And uh, they run together, but they never, they never blend together, except when it goes into the horizon and gets to the vanishing point. It looks like it's one, and it is really not possible for man to totally comprehend how both aspects are running together in harmony, and it seems to contradict. Those who are on the Calvinistic side deny very strongly that a man has a choice in anything. That God in his wisdom and sovereignty and foreknowledge in eternity knows what a man will do. And he is actually predetermined what a man will do. In essence, to say that man has no choice in anything that he does in this lifetime. That's the extreme view of the depravative man. We all have a choice to make. We all have a will to exercise. We all decide every day of our life to decide things. More importantly, in the Bible, we see that God has allowed man to make decisions on his own, even though he's not even a believer. Listen to some verses. I have a lot of verses to just give to you, and if I have you turn to them, it might take a little bit longer than I would like, so let me just read them to you. Write them down, please, the references. Uh, if man does not have a will, why should God ever tell you to pray if man does not have a choice to make or have a will to exercise? If outcomes did not change because of prayer, if God does not respond to prayer, why would he even tell you to pray? James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, just continue being foolish. Is that what James 1.5 says? If any of you lack wisdom, just remain ignorant. No. He says in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. God responds to prayer. God answers prayer. God hears a, a child of his prayer. God may see fit to answer that prayer. The fact is God can, can give someone something that he asks for. God can say no to someone who prays for something. He may deny that, but there is a, a ability for man to ask. There's a chance for God to answer a prayer. But let him ask in faith. Verse number six. Nothing wavering. For he that waveth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And so sometimes God does not answer a prayer because he's asking in unbelief or he's tossed to and fro. James 4.2 tells us, you lust and have not. Here's the reason why sometimes prayers are not answered. It's not because God has already predetermined, I'm not going to answer any of your prayers. I'm not going to change anything that I have um, uh, determined in eternity for this person. No. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. 
I am seeing already so far that God has allowed man to pray, to ask, with the possibility of God granting a prayer request. Circumstances can change, people can change, things can change because God does answer prayer and He invites people to pray to Him for what they need and for what they even want. Pray for themselves, pray for others, pray for changes. Now, another reason for not having something is because there are selfish motives. Sometimes people ask so they can consume it upon their own lust, and God will not answer that type of a prayer. Sometimes, qualification, sometimes God will give you what you ask for, and then it turns out to be a curse. Because we insisted, and God says, I need to teach my child a lesson in contentment, and if I give him what he's asking for, he might be happy for the moment, but in the long term, he will wish he hadn't gotten this thing that he asked for. It could be a real detriment to him if he insists on getting something. And so God who is all wise, he knows the future. He allows things to happen, sometimes to teach us lessons. Sometimes he tells us no. Sometimes he grants us what he wants because it is a request in his will. It's for his glory and it's for our good. And he allows. So what you're finding is that there's a chance when you pray God can answer. It's because we have the ability to, to ask and to seek and to knock. And we have a chance to request things from God. And God sometimes gives us what we ask for. There's ability for things to change in this lifetime. Everything's not locked in. It's not predetermined. This is going to happen no matter what you do. Things change because of prayer. Now, I want you to come to Romans chapter 10. Because in this chapter, we have a strong case about God allowing man to have a will. And the ability to choose to make decisions. Romans chapter 10. If man is so depraved, he cannot, he cannot ask God to help, he cannot ask God for uh, intervention, then why would these things, Romans 10, be? Romans chapter 10. It is true, man is sinful, but he can respond to the word of God. He can respond to the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Watch carefully. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I have to stop and ask the question, why would Paul have such a burden for his own people if God has already determined in eternity who will and who will not be saved? Why would Paul waste his, waste his nights staying up praying for his people if it was impossible for his people to even come to Christ? If God has determined already in eternity before they were born that they would not be or they would be, why would he waste his time burden burden for his own people? Verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God deliberately, willfully. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Oh, wait a minute. I thought man could not believe because he has a, a depraved heart. And he's cannot, he cannot pray, he cannot choose, he cannot have a good desire. No, that's not the case at all. Here's an unsaved Jew who can believe, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone. Talking about the Hebrew people who have their religion, but they don't have personal salvation through Christ. 
righteousness to everyone that believeth. There's a possibility for someone who is unsafe to believe. Right. There's a possibility. Look at verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Verse 7. Or, who shall descend into the, de the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the mouth, for with the heart, men believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse eleven: For the Scripture said, "Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed." Wait a minute now. If God in eternity has determined already who will be saved and who will be lost, then it is irrevocable; it cannot change. But here, it can change. An unsaved man can turn to the gospel, can believe on Christ, and be saved. He can believe, but he's he's depraved. He's wicked in his heart. He's at war with God, but he can believe. The will of man is not so depraved that he cannot reason and he cannot choose. It can. Everybody can. Anyone can. Here, Paul says you can. And so, in verse number 12, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon unto all that call upon him. But you wouldn't call upon him unless you wanted to, would you? Would you? You'd call upon him if you felt the need to call upon him, if you were convinced by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit working in your heart, you would call upon him, but you wouldn't unless you didn't. If you didn't think you needed Christ, you wouldn't call upon him. How many times have people said to me, I'm good, I haven't even finished my sentence. I'm good, according to God, you're not good. But if you hear the gospel and you realize that you are sinful, you have broken God's law and you are unrighteous for God, you realize an unclean thing and your destiny is hell and you don't want to go there, you believe Christ died for you, you can repent, you can turn from not believing in Christ to believing in Christ. That's possible. Rich unto all that call upon him, verse 13, for whosoever. What's another word for whosoever? For whosoever shall call. What if I insert it for if anyone calls? Would that be okay? That'd be okay. Whosoever is anybody, Jew or Gentile, for whosoever shall call upon them shall call is a choice. Shall call is I have understood some evidence, some truth from the scriptures, and I'm going to put my faith in Christ, and I'm going to call upon him by my own choice. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be result, shall be saved. You are seeing here from these verses from the scriptures that a man who is unsaved, a man who is not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, yet still can believe in his unsaved condition. But they say, God has to regenerate you first, and then you can repent, and then you can believe. The Bible teaches you as an unsaved person can hear the gospel, you can respond to it, and God can and will save you. And that's why he tells the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
because every creature potentially who hears the gospel can respond to the gospel. Right. So don't become extreme and don't become either or. God knows who will and will not be saved. You don't. I don't. It is not my job to figure that out. It's my job to just take the gospel and obey what the Bible says and give it to as many people as I possibly can. That's the job of the church. It's a primary function of the church. And so we do that. We try to do that. We should continue trying to do that. The real problem is not that God has predetermined people who will, will not be saved. The problem is not that people cannot be saved. Here's the problem. Look at verse number 14. This is the problem. 1014. After he has told you whose servant shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 14. How? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know what the problem really is? The problem is not that people are predestined to go to hell or predestined to go to heaven and they don't need anybody to give them the gospel. The problem is there's not people giving up the gospel. That's the problem here. How should they hear unless somebody tells them? How should they believe unless they know what to believe? That's the problem. Verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And so you have that problem. People are disobedient to the call of God and to being responsible as a Christian. And they don't go. Therefore, people don't hear the gospel. Therefore, they don't have another chance to understand a chance to believe, a chance to be saved. So the problem is with God's people in many cases, we don't do it. And because of that, people remain unsaved. Not because they're predetermined to be lost, but because Christians are not obeying to go out and give the gospel. We have to be responsible to that part. But people who are unsaved have to be open to what the Bible says so they can believe. God is sovereign, not worth talking about the Bible, but God is overall, that's for sure. Ultimately, he will get the praise and glory for everything, that's for sure. But that does not mean people cannot believe. That tells me from these verses so far, and the ones we will look at, that people need to be responsible to give the gospel out so people can be convinced by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, and they potentially can turn to Christ in faith, though they're depraved. Right now, there's something else. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 21. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now the question I'm asking: Why would God stretch out His hand to offer salvation in His Son if they have no hope of ever doing that? If they're locked in from eternity to be unbelievers? Why would he even offer that? It doesn't make any logical sense. It doesn't make any biblical sense. Now, the free will of man is there even though he has fallen. And this unconditional election, this uh, decisions, actions that he has no choice in, it's going to be set in stone from eternity. It's just meant to be. We've heard that. This is just meant to be. That's how it's supposed to be. That is not true when it comes to personal salvation. And uh, it is not true when it comes to many other decisions in life. Uh, a woman 
had a real decision to make, a real hard decision. She was being courted by a farmer and a poet. She had a real hard decision to make. And so to be a farmer's wife or to be the wife of a poet, her decision came down to for butter or for verse. You have to have a college education to appreciate that one. Uh, hard decision. Now, she would not be a farmer's wife because it's predetermined, or nor would she be a poet's wife because it's predetermined. She had to decide upon, is this guy, this, this farmer guy, is he, does he have character? Can he provide for me? Will he take care of the kids? This poet, will he have a job? Will he have an income? A poet, a poet. Will he have a job and income? Can he take care of me? Can he take care of our kids? Will we have a, a normal, decent lifestyle? Which, and she has to weigh out this thing and then decide, do I love him? Do I love her? Uh, I mean, <laughs> do I love him or do I love him? The poet or the other farmer? Uh, she has to make up all these decisions, think about them and come to conclusion. She has to, of course, pray about it. she's a Christian and she has to weigh all these different things. And uh, she has to know if her love is really real love or is it just infatuation? Is it, is it a status symbol to be married to a poet? I mean, what kind of life does she want? All these factors. And then she decides. She's not forced to do anything against her will. Now, in Joshua 25, let's come over here. I, I think you know the references, but let's go to Joshua 24. Uh, Joshua 25, excuse me. Butter from verse. I thought that's pretty funny. All right. Well, that's just me. Joshua 25. 24. Just checking on you. Joshua 24, verse number 14. The last charge of Joshua to the nation before he passed off the scene. Verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose not. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites and so on. Verse 20. If you forsake the Lord, not that you're predisposed to, but if you do forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. And so on. Verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Now, all of that is reflecting and expressing a truth that even non-born again people in the Old Testament, nobody in the Old Testament was born again. They believed in God. Yes, some of them did. Some of them did not. But none of them here None of them here were denied a choice. They all had a choice. The challenge, the proposition was to force them to make a choice, make a decision. Choose you this day. Consequences if you don't. Blessings if you follow him. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord. That is free will. That is the choice. Now let me read another reference to you. Jeremiah 4.1. Jeremiah for one, if thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if 
thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shall thou not remove. If you do right, I will not do this. It doesn't mean you're forced to do right. It means I gave you the proposition. Here's what's going to happen if you continue living in idolatry. But if you stop, here's what's going to happen. You have a choice to make, a decision to make. Genesis 24, I like this reference. This is about Eliezer going out to find a bride for Isaac. This is a great story. You read that long chapter, chapter 24 of Genesis. It's such a good story. A picture of Jesus Christ and the bride, the church. And they called Rebekah, Rebekah's parents. And Elias has already come to find her. And he is so impressed by how she is generous and helpful. And now um, they go to the home. And uh, Elias has presented all this jewelry and riches and wealth of, of uh, his master and of uh, Isaac. And so it's very impressive. And all this is to say, if you're willing to come back with me to Isaac, my master's son, you'll be taken care of. And mom and dad and relatives will take care of you too. And all this wealth that was exposed to them was to let them know if she, if you let her come with me, this is what's going to happen. Now watch the wording in um, Genesis 24, 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Will you go with this man? Will you come with me to a far country? Will you go with this man? And she said, Rebekah said, I will go. I will go. Now she's looking and she's thinking in her heart. She is so thoroughly convinced. I will go to a stranger. To a strange man. I willfully say I will go. That's a choice, isn't it? You find the ability to choose all over the Bible. Exodus 25, 2, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. A free will offering in modern times in a church is when you give a free will offering of your own volition. You hear about a need and uh, there's a, an appeal to give to this cause because of you know whatever the legitimate cause is, maybe to an individual, a church family, to a missionary, or to something that's a, a worthy cause of God's money. And, uh, but, you know, it's a free will offering. Just come after you put in the plate. It's of your own choice. You don't have to. I was at the store the other day, and uh, as I checked out, I don't know where I was, but it was a, a donation thing to this cause. I'll just say Muscat Dystrophy or Children's Something Something or whatever fun. And uh, would you like to give the change, round up your, round up your bill to uh, this amount for this cause? I said no. I just, you know, I mean, I kept the four cents back. I mean, you know, I could have just given four cents to round that up. I, I voluntarily didn't do it. You say, well, you're mean. Why am I mean by making a choice that I don't want to do? I wasn't compelled to. I wasn't forced to. I just didn't do it voluntarily. Rebecca said, I will, I will go, I will go. Now, and I will give offerings in Exodus 25, Psalm 102, verse 101, verses 2 and 3. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I choose to behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Verse 2 says, Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. A man has chosen to do the right, live in his house before God in a, in a good way, in a holy way. In his own home, he has chosen to. He also says in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. 
I will not set a wicked thing before mine eyes. He says, in my own home, I deliberately choose, I make up my mind to not put things before my eyes, which provokes in me thoughts I should not have. I'll behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I'll walk within my house in a perfect heart. I will set in a wicked thing before mine eyes. That is to say that a man chooses in his own home to live as if God is in his home. Now, how about that? I will set the wicked thing before my eyes is in the context of living in a home where it really counts. I choose to live this way, he says. Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee, if sinners entice thee, come on, come on, come with us. We got this, we got this hit tonight at 10.30. We're going to go to 7-Eleven. We've been by the 7-Eleven so many times before. The only two people that work in there are female. They're Micronesian. They're easy. They're easy. Meaning, we can go in there, they won't even stop us. There's no men there. No intimidation, no male figure. It's just women, and they're short. You know, there's this thing about perception. Short, people from the Pacific, they're not gonna do anything to, to stop you from robbing them. That's a perception. Sometimes it's true. Uh, perception for many people is reality uh, went to the prison on Thursday first time for a long time and one of the guards that uh, was there to escort us up to up, up Main Street to the chapel was a huge Samoan guy and I thought this is good a huge Samoan guy is escorting me up to the chapel area a huge Samoan guy in the eyes of inmates is like okay I think twice before I want to accost anybody because he's a huge Samoan guy. Now, if he was a female, a female the size of um, Kristen or, um, or Anna, slight build, uh, doesn't look very strong. See, this is not a knock on women. This is just an observation. When I see a, a Samoan guy, 250 pounds, his shirt is tight because of his muscles, he works on the gym, and I see a little girl that looks like a broomstick, and I say, which one am I gonna rob? If you go for the Samoan guy, you are crazy. You're going to beat to a pulp. And so I'm walking up there feeling pretty secure. Now, when you go to this, the, the scenario in Proverbs 110, my son of sinners enticed thee, consent thou not. I am going to look for a target where it's an easy target. Not where there's a policeman's car out there in the front. The guy's out there drinking his coffee, standing by the door. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to the place where it's unsecured, where it's just females, where I can overpower them physically. And I can intimidate them with a loud voice or bad breath or one or the other. Intimidate them into submission. <laughs> you folks have no sense of humor this morning. <laughs> he says, don't go. Consent thou not. When you are enticed to join a group, a gang, to do something wrong, he says, do not consent. Do not give your okay. Don't say, okay, I'll go with you. Old Westerns are like that. People are oftentimes recruited to do something really bad. Rob the stagecoach. I don't want to do that. Well, come on. You're going to get one-third of this thing. You three are about to spend it evenly. It never works out like that anyway. But the guy is, is tempted to give in, and he gives it. He consents. When he consents, he's saying, okay, I will do that. The gun wasn't put to his head. Not yet. It was all voluntary. And he says, you have a free will. Here's another verse. Mark, in the New Testament, Mark 7, 9. And he saith unto them, Jesus does, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep 
your own tradition. No, the Lord says, you, you religious people, you have deliberately turned your back on me and on the scriptures to keep your own traditions. You have rejected the truth because your traditions in your mind supersedes the truth. Remember this tradition or opinions and feelings, the truth. You have put all of these traditions above the word of God. You've made void the word of God by your tradition. If the tradition says something and the scripture said this, you have chosen to obey the tradition. It is superior to the truth. He says, no, no. No, no. Don't do that. But you have rejected it for something else by choice. Man has a free will. Now, the quality of your life, ladies and gentlemen, depends upon your choices and your decisions. Not because something is predetermined in eternity. How you live is not because it was predetermined in eternity. How you make decisions is not based upon you being a robot because this is how it's going to be from eternity. Deliberately and by choice, by your own volition, you, you, you evaluate things, you count the cost, and then you make a decision. That's your choice. Now, somebody, somebody said this about this shirt. Now, look, I think it was, uh, I don't know who it was. Somebody said, oh, this is a nice shirt. I said, well, this shirt is about three years old. Oh, it looks so good. So, some, it's kind of strange when a man tells you that about your clothing. Well, that's a nice shirt. Okay. I said, my wife, she rotates things. She hangs my clothes in the closet, and she picks this one here, which means after it's washed, it goes back to the end of the line. And so this, and then next time around, maybe in three months, I'm going to wear the shirt again. I have no clue why she does that. Me, a man, I, I, I wear it, hang it back up, unwash, wear it again. But not her. She's, she's different. She's organized. And she does things in that way, which is fine. But um, I have no choice in this matter what I'm wearing today. She just lays it up. She says, okay, you're wearing this today. I say, yes, sir. I'm wearing that today. I have no choice. But uh, we do make choices. The choices you make determine the quality of your life. That seems like a humanistic statement, but listen to this carefully. Uh, on any given Sunday in Victorian England, on any given Sunday, you could go to any church you chose to go to. You could hear Spurgeon preach, which would have been a treat. You could hear him preach. You could hear F.B. Meyer, William Booth, Alexander McLaren, E.W. Dale, Alexander White, and other notables of that generation. You could, well, we're going to church today. Well, let's go hear Moody. Uh, let, let's go hear um, Alexander White. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Oh, I heard him last week. So let's go over here and hear uh, Spiritual. Oh, man, he, they're all so good. You have a choice. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Spurgeon, White, Dale. I mean, pick, 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 pick. You just go whichever you want to go to. You'd be all right. The idea is you can choose. Today, I am going to hear Spurgeon. Next week, I am predetermined. No, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Choices. You heard of Mike Lee? Not the politician Mike Lee. Mike Lee is a bull, professional bull rider. What a job. Professional bull rider Mike Lee. Mike Lee is a pro. He is uh, way up in the rankings. Cheyenne Frontier Days, those kind of competitions, they're big deals for people out in that part of the world. They're manly. Not only do they wear boots, they act like Cowboys and they're tough. Not all of them are tall. Not all of them are muscular. They're a lot of times short. And these men uh, that are professional bull riders, they suffer a lot of injuries. Mike Lee 
had a brain injury because he fell off the bull, and as he fell off the bull, the bull head came up and they both met. They had fellowship. <laughs> a meeting of the minds. My head went down, his head went up, boom. You know who got the injury? Not the bull, not the 1,700 pound bull. It was the little 160 pound cowboy, bull rider. He got injured, four months in the hospital, brain injury. Brain injury, four months rehabbing. You know what he does after he's rehabbed? Signed up for the next competition. Pulled my hand. Where do I sign? Oh, I can't see. Right here? Okay. How do I spell my name? Oh, who am I? Brain injury. Still, he goes back to bull riding. Not because he was forced to, ladies and gentlemen, because he wanted to. He chose this as a profession. Now, after that, he continues to rise in the ranks. That's important to him. Me, I get spooked by just watching people get hurt. Then I laugh and say, well, nobody made you do that. <laughs> I mean, really. You ever see these people who do these strange physical things and uh, some of them get hurt and people say, oh. I don't say, oh. I say, what did you expect? You made a choice. You made a decision. You willfully did this activity and this potentially can happen. Therefore, I... You know, I feel no pain for them. Bill Clinton said, I feel your pain. I don't feel any pain for them. They feel the pain. I say, well, I'm not going to feel any pain. You ever see these MMA fighters? They get into the boxing arena. And you ever see it in slow motion? You ever see a box match in slow motion? I know ladies are not used to these kind of things. This is from man. But uh, the guy gets hit in slow motion. And the, the glove comes over here. His face is all contorted. This look, it looks like, like silly putty. <laughs> it's all over the place. In slow motion, and this guy's face is so swollen, his eyes are swollen shut, he can't even see. He looks like a bullfrog, just so puffed up. And he's all black and blue, and his hand is raised up. He's the winner, really. He's the winner. He's gonna have to be on the on the on the off off anything for about three weeks. Let the swelling come down. Uh, I'm just saying we don't we're not forced to do these kind of things. We choose to do these things. The quality of your life. Depends upon your decision and choice. There's a woman. There's a woman who has a very hard time with her husband because he is uh, into drugs. She is into drugs. What would you expect? Drugs plus drugs equals blessings or problems. The quality of your life depends upon the decisions, the choices you make. You know why people are in prison? Not because Maybe there's an exception. Not because they're forced to join and do something. It's because they willfully said, I'm going to get something for nothing. It's exciting. And they get busted and they end up over there. There's consequences to decisions that we make. And I'm just trying to tell you as I try to wrap things up that there are uh, consequences. The quality of your life is affected by the decision that you willfully make. You risk your health. Oh man, you know what? I'm behind in my mortgage I, I gotta get some cash somehow my job ain't cutting it uh, uber's not cutting it lyft's not cutting it um walker working at walmart as a greeter is not cutting it. i gotta get cash fast what am i gonna do honey well um, it's vegas flights are cheap southwest you know pretty cheap now you can fly there stay there for three days and come back and maybe you win something yeah yeah, yeah. You know how dumb that is? To try to go and make money 
by gambling. The house never loses. The customer always loses. The winners are very few. Most people lose. The house never loses. You are a fool to think you're gonna beat the house. You never will. Every once in a while, they'll let some people win. That's just to keep enticing more customers to come in. And so, the quality of your life depends upon the decisions you make. I knew a lady who started working at a Korean bar because she needed more income. She had three kids, they're young, lived over in Kalihi years ago. And uh, she asked me, uh, pray about a job that I'm trying to find. I said, sure. Um, what kind of job are you looking for? She, she, was a, she was a waitress in a restaurant. I think it was down in Waikiki, a decent restaurant on the corner as you come to Ala Moana and Hobran Lane. So very well known establishment, a decent restaurant. She was a, a waitress called back then. And she had a good job, but it wasn't paying her enough to cover her expenses. She was spending too much and uh, kids demanding too much. And she was, you know, not saying no, we gotta live within our means kind of thing. It was kind of giving them what they wanted, but then it was hardship on them. Finally, they couldn't afford a car, she had to ride the bus to go to work back and forth and all that. And so she was asked for a prayer about uh, a second job. I said, yeah, we're glad to pray about that. And try to find out more about that. And I said, have you, have you any prospects about where you might want to work? She says, yeah. I was thinking about working down on Kemoka Street. I'm thinking, first of all, bars, Kemoka Street. There was no Walmart back then. Working down, what kind of work? Oh, as a hostess, as a server. I said, where? She said, oh, at this Korean restaurant or Korean bar. I said, is that a bar? She said, oh, yeah. And then she said this, but the tips are good. <laughs> Gonna work in a Korean bar because the tips are good. Her need for more income took away all of her sense about working in a, a place like that for a, a mother uh, because the tips are good. Um, it never worked out. She did take the job, but it never worked out. It never improved the home life. It never improved their peace. It actually contributed to more, more uh, loud talking, more screaming, more of that. Husband got more agitated, everything, and blamed her. All kind of things went wrong. The, the quality of your life depends upon the decisions that you make. You are a free moral agent that can make decisions, though you are sinful. You can choose. Choose to do the right thing. Choose you to stay who you will serve. The Bible says, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6. That is a true statement. However that comes out in life, here's what comes out in life. You make decisions for Jesus Christ. Make good moral decisions. You make decisions based upon what is decent, what is not wrong. And more than not, God will take care of things. But once you make detours and start going making curves and getting off the right road, then you find out that things never get any better. Things continue, de things spiral downward. And the Christian, even the Christian, would have more hardships that he has brought upon himself. Not because it was in eternity determined already, no. It was because of the bad decisions, bad choice that you make. And so make right decisions. Now people go to hell because, not because they're predetermined to go to hell, and they had no choice in the matter, People go to hell because they have rejected Jesus Christ. People go to heaven because they have seen the error of their way and they have turned to Christ in faith and they have gotten saved. And then they're going to go to heaven one day. Both eternal destinations, not because we are locked in in eternity. We have no choice. Both destinations are a result of the choices we make based on 
hearing the gospel and receiving it or rejecting it. That's what happens to everybody. The quality of my eternity basis is based upon what I do with Jesus Christ. We can respond to the gospel. Now, I have to end with this one. It is predetermined for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as the believer. Romans 8, 29. In eternity, it has been predetermined that when you get saved, you don't stay a baby Christian. It has been predetermined that you grow and mature in your lifetime to be more like Jesus Christ in character, in behavior, in attitude. You cannot possibly be like him, like the Son of God. There's only one Son of God, but you can grow up to be like your, like your Father in heaven. That is the that is the set in heaven already. What should happen in your life over the years, and you have been predestined to be that way, but not predestined to be lost or to be saved without your choice. Some people who believe this, they have no initiative to do anything in life except just drift because it's I'm predetermined to be a certain way. They have no they have no drive to improve their lives. It seems they have no interest to give people the gospel because why should I if God has already predetermined where they will go when they die oh no that's all wrong that's an extreme way of looking at things both rails on track run side by side until it gets to infinity at the horizon and it looks like it's one line they don't conflict with each other it just seems to be that way with us we see both I see both people much smarter than me sees both in play I see very strongly that God has given depraved man the ability to make choices. He has a will. Now, what will you do with what you've heard? That's up to you. What will I do with what the Bible says? That's up to me. Now, some, some decisions are not of any consequence. There's no bearing at all on anything spiritual or anything long-lasting. Uh, it has no, makes no difference at all. You want to be careful about becoming ultra-spiritual, hyper-spiritual, where you have to pray five minutes about everything that you do. Red light, what should I do? You're going to pray about that, what to do, red light? Green light, what am I going to do? You're going to pray about that. The Bible says pray about everything, but you can't be extreme about that. That means go. That means stop. Okay, you're hungry. What does that mean? You go to grandma's house, that's what that means. Eat. Your car's low on gas. You're gonna drive from Hawaii to Waianae. You got a quarter tank gas. Well, Lord, what should I do? You don't know. You don't know what to do. Go to Costco. Find the nearest Costco, fill up, and then go on your long trip. There are some things that just requires common sense, basic sense in life. So be cautious about being over spiritual. One time I was with a bunch of older men. They were all well-known preacher. I didn't know him at the time, but they were well-known. I found it later on. <laughs> There's this young guy. He was the driver of the car <laughs> with me and three other southern preachers in the car. And this young guy, older than me, but he was young, he was in the car. There was something done, activity done, and we all jumped to the car. And uh, before he turned the car on, he said to this well-known, big-time, uh, seasoned, white-haired preacher, he said, Brother, will you pray for us as we go? He said, No, just go. <laughs> No, just go. And he was whoa, shocked. He's, he, he, so he just took off. What he was teaching him was, there are some things in life, it's okay to just go. 
but you decide. Now I'm sure um, uh, he may have prayed in his mind. And now uh, when when Nathan's kids are with me in the car, and when Grandma's with me before we leave the house, go to church, she'll say, "All right, uh, let's pray for God to keep us safe." That's fine. That's not superstitious or uh, extreme. Or she'll ask, "Okay, uh, Samuel, Joseph, or Anna, or Timothy, or somebody, I pray before we go that God will keep us safe." That's fine. She's teaching them to be alert to God's presence with them, to be alert and be aware that things can happen, and it can, and we need God to protect us. That's not superstitious, and that's not extreme, that's sensical. But there are some things that you just do it because you just do it, okay? You all can choose, choose right, make good decisions. Don't be silly, foolish, don't be impulsive. Think things through. Count the cost for sure. But then you decide. And if God doesn't strongly tell you otherwise, make a decision. And you live with the consequences. They may not be wrong. They could be good results. But don't be don't be paralyzed to not do something because you're not sure what God is trying to tell you to do about something. Sometimes you just do things because you should. Just because you should. All right, I am finished. I've said what I want to say. I've spoken about one aspect of Philip because that's what I want to focus on. And uh, all right, let's pray. Lord, help us to make good decisions with her, with her lives. Some things are so minor. Some things are a little bit more serious. We need to take more time for the more serious things. The daily routine, some of them are just things to be responsible about. The carver socks, non-consequential uh, things, small things, not, not that serious. We might pray in our hearts and, but, uh, and not even think about it. That may be all right, but we just don't wanna, we just don't wanna ignore you and ignore your counsel. We want to acknowledge you in everything that we do, that's for sure. And we're thankful that we have the ability to choose, to make decisions where we go, what we eat, what we dress with, and things like that. We're thankful that we can freely uh, operate like that in this life. You've given us the ability to use our heads and to use our minds. We, we can choose. We're not predestined to act like robots without any choice. And so I pray as we finish, as we close, that you would help us to make good decisions, make good choices. The quality of our life depends upon the choices that we make. Help us to make choices that will honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.